Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uctana, and today we'll be talking about the logistics of actually reading from your soul book versus getting information downloads, having experiences, or channeling. Anyone can read their own Akashic Record or soul book. This is in part because soul books are not some separate authoritarian object or mystical wizarding manual, but instead a part of us, just like our hands or feet. Also, soul books want us to be able to understand and interact with them, so they aren't going to intentionally make things difficult for us. The trouble usually lies in the fact we've never been taught how to read them in this lifetime, and we've been consciously trained away from the skills, such as interactive daydreaming, which would allow us to do so with ease. We've been taught daydreams are just figments of our imagination, which exist only in the completely sealed-off safety of our minds. We're fascinated by stories which play on the question, but what if they weren't? This has become a long-lasting trope in fantasy and YA stories. Just think Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland, for example. The thing is, our daydreams do have reality as a means of communication. In childhood, we unlearn and forget this, and therefore come to think of our heads as closed systems. We think things only get out or in our head when we act to make it so. To see something, we must look. To express something, we must act. As an aside, this is one of the main reasons why subliminal messages are illegal in advertising. They play on our erroneous assumption we control what gets in, thereby getting messages in under the radar without our consent or acknowledgement. This is also why product placement in media is so problematic. Now, this is not to say our being taught this notion is wrong. It's not, and in fact has a purpose. We're meant to focus on this life and not be distracted with extraneous things. In preparing for this embodied life, we agreed and even desired to have this brief respite from constant and instantaneous communication so we could explore ourselves fully with minimal disruption or negative consequences. So thinking we're a closed system is a good thing. However, it's not really true. As we knew when we were children, our daydreams are a conversation between the embodied reality we're experiencing and the greater reality of the world beyond this microcosm. This is why some people will have what they consider serial daydreams, where the action seems to keep going on after they've returned to daily life. It's as if the daydream continues while they're away and they're dropping in at a later point already in progress. Where likely it is, and they are. This is why deep and important truths about ourselves and the world around us seem to unfold from our daydreams. It's not all about our subconscious, if such a thing actually exists, but about an ongoing conversation happening only marginally in linear time. What I'm saying is daydreaming is an Akashic meditation. What you experience isn't all in your head any more than what is said in a conversation over dinner is completely controlled by you. If you want to check this out for yourself, next time you're daydreaming about something, try changing some random aspect. Try changing the setting, the flooring, the ceiling, or the sky. Try changing what the people are wearing. You'll find you either can't or the change is momentary and returns almost immediately to what it was before. It's as if you looked at the person you're having dinner with, told them you didn't like their eye color, and then tried to change it for them. Hopefully, they'd just look at you funny. If you can change something in the scenario, then it's something you brought with you, something in your head. 
If it's something you can't change, then it's part of the conversation. It's either something the other party is trying to tell you, or it's part of the place. Either way, it's not irrelevant but has meaning, and you should pay attention. To convert daydreaming into a meditation or journey, all that needs to be done is to be aware when you have moved from normal awareness into daydreaming, then start guiding the process. Guiding can be done by listening to a recording of a meditation or by going through memorized meditation steps. Most people find that once in the daydream state, it takes no effort at all to direct the process. I use the concept of conversation as a means of helping students remember how this works. Because daydreams are conversations between our logical left brain, are connected to the eternal right brain, and our soul. They take the mundane and the possible and try to help us bring to consciousness more about ourselves and our path. Dream time is a place where our right and left brains can sort out the input of the day and put it in perspective, where all the things we've shunted into our emotions and our body can be brought back out and processed, where our guides can talk with us, where others who are working in dream time can come visit us, and where we can go to the Akashics to catch up with our teachers and the remainder of ourselves which has stayed behind just to name a few of the ways we're holding conversations in our head. In all of these situations, are we making all this up in our heads? Yes and no. Like any conversation, we create meaning through vocalizations and symbols, letters and numbers, or relay meaning we've already devised. But we're only one part of a conversation, even an internal one. During daydreams or dreamtime, we are working with experiences and input coming from outside of us, have various aspects of ourselves and processes imparting wisdom and insight to us, and other beings adding in their perspective in order to build on or argue with our meaning or convince us of theirs. And so it is in the Akashics. Guided meditations in the Akashics can feel like a dream or a daydream because they use the skills you already possess. In the Akashics, like dreams, Everything is symbolic and can be fluid or not, depending on the situation. Much of it, at least at first, may seem very familiar. Just like any conversation you have with someone you haven't seen for a while or have just met, the conversation begins with things you know and quickly moves towards trying to find common ground or connection. Beings do this in the Akashics by presenting themselves in a visual way you're familiar with, such as appearing as a favorite pet as someone you've known, or in a visual form which seems familiar even though you can't quite figure out why. As the conversation progresses, the topics, symbols, and means of communication will move into more pertinent forms as you make a shared language or symbol base with each other, just like you would do with a coworker or peer in normal life. Over time, you have shared jokes, shared vocabulary, and shared experience you can use to understand each other better and more quickly. In your soul book, it's not uncommon for information to be displayed with pictures on the left-hand page and written text on the right. The right-hand page would be the written text concerning the picture to the left. Often the text is not written in our current language, and so it seems as if we can't read it. However, if we focus, the writing will be translated for us one line at a time as we read. The experience is as if a bar magnifier were being moved line by line down the page which magically translates each line but leaves those above and below in the original language. Periodically throughout each text page, there will be words which are not translated and appear to be letters typed over each other to make a large dark blot on the page. When I peer at such things closely, I find they are what I describe as nuggets. They're compact concepts no one word can define, 
No translation can unpack correctly, but when peered at, the entire meaning will unfold, and when reading them, I find myself speaking rapidly, trying to convey ineptly the magnitude of information being imparted to me through the linear form of spoken language. After years of reading these pages and coming across nugget after nugget, it occurred to me I was reading pure symbols in their essential form. For example, I seem to be reading not the letters we put together to form the written symbol for chair, but looking directly at the essential chairness of chair, and being given all the information about all chairs which have existed since the birth of the concept of chair. A nugget is a symbol. A symbol, not as we experience them, as inert things we draw or a picture to be looked at, but as an active living thing, existing without any reference to any other being, and yet interconnected with all things, therefore wishing to connect, to communicate, to be seen, and to be known intimately and completely. When we're not embodied, when we're our true and essential selves, we communicate in this way, in thought and emotion, in symbolic form not in linear words trying to describe things through sound or visual cue, but through the essence of the thing itself experienced in all nuances. We don't communicate a representation of a newly exposed red rosebud. We communicate the red rosebud in all its unique, specific, iconic, spiritual, existential self interconnected with weather, season, time of day, shade of light, and all other aspects of the moment experienced by that rosebud. Such is the nature, complexity, and depth of symbols. And this is why working with the Akashics, with soul books, and with dreams, is such a unique and subjective experience. Symbols by their very nature have general attributes. A square is a four-sided object. A sphere is completely round. A chair has legs, a seat, and a back. A hand grips things and feet support things, just to point to a few examples. However, this is not all they contain. Each expression of a symbol is an example of both and. They contain both the general symbolic information and the specific information concerning that particular symbol and all it's interconnected with. Which is why dream interpretation books seem to be full of interpretations which miss the mark why some people fall head over heels for one person's interpretation of the universal hero's journey, and others are repelled by it. Why you can go to a myriad of healers and know what they say is true and not yet the answer to the problem. And why ten different astrologers can come up with ten different readings from your chart. When it comes to your dreams, your body, your journey in the Akashics, the nuggets, images, symbols, and experiences you're being given are about and for you. They are packed with tons of meaning on all levels. That meaning is for you, about you, and specific to you. This doesn't mean you shouldn't seek out help and advice when you're seeking answers. We all need help in that area at times, including me. This just means you're the only one who can know if the advice and support being offered is correct. You're the final arbiter of the meaning in the message. So many times I hear reports from students and clients about their Akashic experiences, their current lives, and what they're looking for by attempting to read their soul book. In all of this, they also relate what they know the meaning of what they've experienced is, even though they, at the same time, have questions about what it all really means. In these situations, one of the first things I do 
is start questioning them on how they're sure they know the meaning of these Akashic experiences, to which they have no reply because they don't know how they know and why they have assumed. Instead of stopping to investigate or ask questions, you know, stopping for directions is supposed to be a good thing, they have usually allowed their logic brain to immediately associate the experiences with known symbols, issues, and pieces of their own identity so as to, all in one action, label them or make them known, control them, categorize them, and therefore make them irrelevant or at least minimally impactful. Most of the time, when I go back over the experiences, images, and symbols with the person, just a cursory glance says they're not what has been assumed. There is usually a ton of detailed information which is not only a response to the seeker's requests, but new learning which goes far beyond what they were aware of and opens new paths for them to explore so they can start opening up to a new way of being in the physical world. Therefore, what I recommend to all my students is instead of accepting a one-dimensional answer or making a temporary assumption, open up your curiosity to more layers of meaning, including the possibility of things being word plays, pointing towards broader associations with identity, community, ethnicity, and much more. In other words, when asking a question, don't listen to the answer you receive. Turn on your curious mind and allow it to unfold like the petals of a lotus. It could be the key to everything. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thank you to my patron of honor this week, Amy. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can join in patron-only classes, see all my other offerings, and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.